Today I'll be preaching from Psalm 104, and I would ask you to stand with me in honor um, Psalm 103. My wife's saying, no, not 104, 103. <laughs> Psalm 103, brothers and sisters, this is the very word of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth my mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his host, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure, Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray together. Father, truly it is uh, good uh, that we are here. It is good that we can come together and we can hear your word read and we can lift our praises to you and we can hear your word preached and we can even partake of your sacraments and we can have our uh, faith encouraged. We can be built up. We can have our strength renewed. Gracious Father, we ask today that you would bless the reading and the preaching and the hearing of your word. And as we already prayed, we ask that you will take this word and you will use it to transform us 
that you will transform us heart, mind, and soul, and that you will conform us more and more each and every day into the image of your beloved Son. And we ask this in his powerful name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There's a story that is told about Martin Luther. And it's one where he was about the house for weeks at a time, down, troubled, dark, brooding. Things were not going his way, or as he thought they should go. And his wife finally got tired of it. Do you all know this story? And she walked around the house saying, God is dead. God is dead. God is dead. He says, woman, what are you talking about? God is not dead. And she said, then you should stop acting like it. So I think of David in this story because many of the psalms that he wrote, they appear to be trying to encourage himself. Now, I'm not sure whether he wrote them when he was down and in that process it encouraged him, or if he wrote them knowing that he was going to be down and needed to read them later or sing them later. So I don't know if it really matters, but I want to ask you in this day in which we come into the house of the Lord, O soul, are you wearied and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. I appreciate Larry's words earlier, though he made me cry. But this is really what this passage is about today. It is about weak faith. Like Martin Luther acting like God was dead. So we will work through the passage fairly quickly, and then I want to camp on a section later that talks about God as our Father. So in the first three verses, we read this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. The word bless here feels a little odd to us, because how do we bless the Lord. Well, this, this particular word is to praise or to worship on bended knees with our hands raised, which is a peculiar posture. So that's how we bless the Lord. We are praising Him and we are worshiping Him humbly with our hands raised. And we are speaking words of excellence about Him. Which is exactly what David then begins to do. I also want to point out that um, the word here, soul, is the same word that uh, we use for breath in the Hebrew. So when God breathed breathed into man, he became a living soul. Same word, breath and soul. The other one I want to point out, which you probably know already, but I want to make sure it's clear, is in the King James, when it uses the word E-T-H, forgiveth, it means that it has already happened and it will continue to happen. 
This is not a one and done kind of deal, much like the word believe in the passage in Isaiah we were talking about this morning. It is believeth, it is already happening and will continue to happen. Therefore, you can stand fast, right? That's what that means. Now think about this for a minute. The Lord has forgiven all of our iniquities. The Lord has healed and will continue to heal all of our diseases. That's amazing. We could stop right there, verse 3. That should be enough to get you out of any funk. Your sins are forgiven. You stand before the Lord as a righteous man or a righteous woman. Now this is probably talking about spiritual diseases, those those diseases that come upon us because of our sin, that oppression that we suffer, that that bondage that we live in when we are unrepentant and unforgiven sinners. But I don't know if any of us here believe that the Lord cannot heal our physical diseases. We've all known way too many people who have been forgiven or have been healed of their diseases. And then David goes on, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. This is a really interesting phrase. The word loving kindness there is the one I've been talking about for, I think, nearly a couple years here. It's the word hesed. Um, it's a really important concept in the Old Testament. I would encourage you that if you haven't made a study through that, that you should. It's used 250 times in the Old Testament. It must be important. About half of those are in the Psalms. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But this word tender mercies here is really, um, really interesting. It is, um, it's the word for womb, which seems a little odd to us. So he crowns us with his loving kindness and his mercy and his womb. But see, the Old Testament authors thought of the womb or the bowels as the seat of warm and tender emotions. And you think about a mother carrying a child in her womb. I mean, there's really no sweeter picture of love and compassion and protection and care than the mother's showing to that baby. But it says that we are crowned with these things. We are blessed with these things. It's like we are crowned as kings and rulers of creation. It's like we have been blessed with a bountiful crop. We have received all spiritual blessings. Daniel, you can't teach a lesson without reading from Philippians. I can't do a sermon without going to Ephesians. So in Ephesians 1, we read this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us 
in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. This idea of hesed, this kindness, this mercy, this goodness, this covenantal faithfulness, it can only take place between family members. It is a family kind of love and covenant and commitment. And so as we have been adopted into the family of God, we get to experience the womb, the compassion of our Heavenly Father. We get to partake in His, uh, un- His steadfast love, His unfailing covenantal faithfulness. The Lord is faithful to us even when we are not faithful to Him. Amen? Amen. Verse 6 reads, The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all those who are oppressed. Execute here means to accomplish, to complete, to perform an act with a distinct purpose. We tend to think of judgment only in the negative. But there's a positive and a negative sense to judgment. When the judge in a courtroom rules in your favor, he makes a judgment in your favor, and you're awarded whatever it is the penalty was for the crime that was committed against you, right? That is a positive judgment. And that's what's going on in this passage. This is the Lord declaring a legal verdict. He is pronouncing the oppressed to be free from the penalty due for their sins. He is changing their legal status to not guilty. He is granting from the bench, from the judgment seat, the legal status of righteous. He is transferring the righteousness of Christ onto you. Ephesians says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Larry talked about this earlier, that our sins are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. And through that cleansing and through that washing, through his sacrifice, through his atoning work, we are declared righteous. He has delivered us from the power of darkness, Colossians 1. And he has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We've talked about imputation before. We'll talk about it again later in this passage. Imputation is the idea that the Lord takes our sin and places it on Jesus, and he takes Jesus' righteousness and places it on us. We call that double imputation. In verse 7 we read, And he made known his ways unto Moses, 
his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Mercy there is hesed again. But the Lord has made known his ways to Moses, to God's people, to the children of Israel. This is the way he interacts with us. He condescends to us. He comes to us and he starts a relationship. He speaks to us in and through his word, establishing and making known to us that covenantal love. Hesed. He assures us that we are his sons, heirs to the internal inheritance, as the Apostle Peter would say, incorruptible and undefiled, and that fades not away, reserved for heaven, reserved in heaven for you. It is interesting that David here is quoting from Psalm 34, or from Exodus 34, which says, And the Lord descended in the cloud. And stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness. There's your hesed. Abundant in goodness and truth, keeping hesed for thousands Forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, that will by no means, that he by no means will clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children under the third and the fourth generation. David is, David is quoting this passage where the Lord comes to them and expresses to them this merciful, gracious, long suffering, abundant in goodness, this Hesed covenantal faithfulness, this love towards his people. In verse 9 we read, And he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Hallelujah. This is double imputation again, reading from 2 Corinthians, for he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For he has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, he who knew no sin, that we, might be made the righteousness of God in him and adopted into his family. Just amazing. Simply amazing. What wondrous love is this indeed. As we move on here, David uses this series of as statements. He's trying to make a point. He's trying to show how different the Lord is from us. He says, for as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy, hesed, towards them that fear him. 
How great is his mercy. As the heaven is high above the earth. And it's not talking necessarily there about altitude. Has anybody seen the recent picture from the telescope, the web telescope they put up recently? Just amazing, right? We just keep seeing farther and farther. It's incomprehensible what the heavens are like. And those are the ones we can see. He's saying this is, this is how great God's love for us is. It's indescribable. It's, it's that kind of glorious, magnificent show of his awesome power. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And remember, this is an, this is an ongoing deal, right? If we, if we uh, confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is, this is a continual process. But David is trying to explain here what it means when God removes your sin. Because we have trouble understanding it. When somebody does us wrong, we remember it, right? We read from 1 Corinthians 13 in our confession. Um, That's a tough chapter. We want to hold people's sins against them. Yeah, but you remember that time? But God says that he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. And he picked directions that can't, you can't put a pen on the map and show where east is. Right? You can put one on the North Pole. You can put one on the South Pole. Right? We know where that is. We don't know where the end of east is. Would that be east? Yeah, that'd be east. And, or west. We don't, we don't know where those end. And that's what he's trying to say. His love for us, his forgiveness of us, is like that. And then he uses this phrase. Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. Again, he's trying to draw this contrast. We think of, we think of David as this mighty warrior, right? Saul slew his thousands and David slew his ten thousands. And yet I have this picture of David holding one of his babies, right? And protecting his baby as he, he knows his baby is weak and fragile and on his own doesn't stand a chance, right? This is really interesting because I missed part of the verse. I forgot to copy it down. Let's go back to the beginning here. In verse 14, he says this, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. There's this really interesting theme of creation running through this whole psalm. And I mentioned it earlier earlier when I talked about, Oh my soul, that that is the breath that the Lord breathed into man and he became a living soul. And this, this verse 14, for he knoweth our frames, knoweth is this experiential um, relationship, right? 
But the word frame here carries with it the idea of a potter forming clay on a wheel. This is how well our Father knows us, right? Because he formed us from the dust of the ground. And that's, that's what he's saying here. There's that, that gulf between the creator and the creature. And as the creature, we have trouble understanding just how great the Lord is. And David here is trying to, he's trying to explain that to us. He's using these as statements to make these contrasts, right? But this love that the Father has for us, He knows our frame. He knows that we are dust. He knows what we are like. And He says that His his love will carry us through all of that. His grace is sufficient. Um, the, The word that we had earlier, which means womb, this compassion that the Lord has for us, Um, In verse 5, I kind of skipped over it, but it says that he satisfies our mouth with good things. And in Isaiah 66, we get this really amazing picture, this, this beautiful picture of what the Lord's love looks like for his people, for his church, for his beloved. And it reads like this, Rejoice ye, Jerusalem! And be glad with her. All ye that love her, rejoice for joy with her. And ye that mourn for her. That you may suck and be satisfied with the breast of her consolation. That you may milk out and be delighted in the abundance of her glory. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. And the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then shall ye suck, ye shall be borne upon her sides, and be dandled upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted in Jerusalem. And when you see this, your heart shall rejoice, your bones shall flourish like an herb, and the hand of the Lord shall be known towards his servant and his indignation towards his enemies. You see what's going on here? In your afflictions, in your distress, in your troubled mind, the Lord is saying he is your portion, right? He will give you those good things. He will remind you that he has forgiven your sins, that he has healed your diseases, that he has released you from oppression, that your your chains have fallen off. But it's even more than that. This image is the Lord, remember David, the mighty warrior, holding the little baby? This is what this picture is. This is is the Lord comforting us, nursing us as a baby. And for any of you who have seen this, some of you have experienced this, but when the baby is full, when the baby is satisfied, They kind of go limp, right? And their eyes roll into the back of their head. And they go to sleep, right? No, they don't go to sleep. (laughs) 
They're supposed to go to sleep. But this is the picture he's painting for us. This is the kind of comfort that is available to his people. And he's saying, I will extend peace to you like a river, right? You will do this nursing thing, and it says you will be born upon her sides. And it's talking about Jerusalem, right, is, is, is the embodiment of God's love for us. Jerusalem is kind of like um, our mother of the church, right? And it says that you will be born on her sides, right? So the church is like going to, you guys know how this happens, right? The girls kind of stick out their hip and plant the baby right there, and then they carry him around all day, right? That's what this means here, born upon her sides. And be dandled upon her knees. Guys all know this one, you know, when you bounce the baby on your knee like this? That's what this is talking about. This is the image of being one of God's children, This is the joy and the comfort and the peace that comes in this family relationship. And it says that the way we respond, the way we respond is that our heart will rejoice. We will bless the Lord, oh my soul. And your bones will flourish. And you will know that the hand of the Lord is on your side and against your enemies. There's some more as statements here. I'll try to go through them quickly. He says, as for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and the place thereof shall be no more. He's setting up the next passage. He's coming from this, this image of a fragile jar of clay, right, made from dust, being protected and provided for by the Father. And he's saying, so this is how great God is, right? Stars in the heaven, all that that we talked about. And this is what man is like. Grass. And not like South Carolina grass, right? We're talking like Middle East grass, where there's just a sprig here and a sprig there, and a sprig over there, right? And the heat comes, and it's gone. Somebody steps on it, and it's gone. The animals come and eat it, and it's gone. That's how resilient we are. This is what our faith looks like. Remember Martin Luther moping around the house? David being broody? Hopefully no one here is like that. All right, so let's get to the the really good stuff here. Verse 17. It's all been really good stuff. But the point of this sermon, I think the point of this passage, is even bigger than what we've come to at this point. It's been David, the Israelites. But now he's coming to a promise that we may not notice. And I think it's one that is really important and actually really neglected in our day. Because most of us don't have Katie Luther walking around, knocking us out of the funk. We walk around in this funk, right, with our weak faith on display. And our kids see it. And they're thinking, man. If mom and dad are 
down. If mom and dad are troubled by the present circumstances, if mom and dad can't stand up to this momentary light affliction, how am I, as a babe in Christ, supposed to deal with it? But this is that This is that transition. This is that but God phrase that shows up here in the psalm, right? Man is like grass. That's how our faith is. It's as strong as a blade of grass. But the mercy, the faithfulness, the covenantal faithfulness, the loving kindness of the Lord is from when? Everlasting to everlasting. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him. And His righteousness, which is the same word from earlier when it's um, imputed to us. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him. And His righteousness unto children's children. To such as keep His covenant and to those that remember His commandments to do them. Do you see what's going on here? When that blast of heat comes, when the stampede of the animals comes, and the grass is afraid. This is the promise we extend to our children. The Lord's mercy, His goodness, His love for us is from everlasting to everlasting. There's nothing that happens to us that's outside His will. There's nothing that happens to us that isn't for our good and His glory. There's nothing that can shake the love of the Lord from His people. Because His people have been promised that that righteousness will endure forever. I think think David is alluding to the passage in Deuteronomy where he's talking about this weakness of grass and then this strength of the Lord, this faithfulness, steadfastness of the Lord that we are supposed to cling to, that we are supposed to have faith in, that we are supposed to trust no matter what. In Deuteronomy 7 we read this, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. Don't feel too special yet. The Lord thy God has chosen you to be a special people unto Himself above all people that are on the face of the earth. And why did He do this? The Lord did not set His love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because, but because, the Lord loved you. Because the Lord loved you, loved you, and because He would keep the oath which He had sworn unto your fathers, the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and He redeemed you out of the house of the bondman 
from the hand of Pharaoh the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keeps covenant and mercy with them who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. To a thousand generations. His righteousness to children's children. The promise is for a thousand generations. How long is a thousand generations? Have we talked about this before? Somebody tell me how long a generation is. Give me a number. What was it? 40 years. See, 40 times a thousand. Carry the one. It's 40,000 years, right? How long ago was this promise made? 4,000 years ago? What's the timeline? Daniel, do you know? No? How far back Moses is? 40,000 years. The promise is that the Lord will be faithful to you and to your children for 40,000 years. Which, if you think about that for just a minute, you come to the realization that we, my friends, are the early church. We're just getting started. Even if it only means a really, 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 really long time, and it's not an actual 40,000 years, we'll grant that. He means a really long time. We are told to believe. We are told to have faith. We are told to trust in the Lord no matter what. No matter how outrageous the 40,000 year promise might sound. But I want to go back to the prototypical Christian. Sort of the father of our faith. In Genesis 15 we read, And he believed in the Lord. And the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. The Lord applied his righteousness to Abraham because Abraham believed the promise of the Lord. Anybody remember the promise? What was the promise? Anyone? Shout it out. It's okay. All the nations of the earth should be blessed. But that came later, right? What, what was the very basic promise? That you will have a son. Right? And they were past childbearing years, right? We read earlier, Sarah laughed. Right? He might have said, you know, she might have been thinking of the 40,000 years. <laughs> That's not going to happen, right? In Romans chapter 4, we read this. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that which also is of the faith of Abraham, 
who is the Father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead, calls those things which are not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. And be not weak in faith. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. They were about as fruitful as dead grass, right? And yet it says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Abraham believed the promise of God. The impossible promise of God. You have a man with no children who is told that your, your descendants will number like the stars in heaven, like the, sands, like the grains of sand on the seashore, that your descendants would be a blessing to all the nations. Ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Yes, but he believed that he would be the father of many nations when he was dead as grass. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. It's amazing. So Daniel, stand on that cornerstone, right? Stand fast. Stand therefore. Quit you like men. Believe the promises of God. And then the, the, the psalm finishes up here. It says, The Lord has prepared His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. This, this prepared is great. It's, it's established. It's fixed. It's steadfast. The Lord knows what He's doing. He is king and ruler of all. If he says dead grass will have children, it's going to happen. If he says stones are going to cry out and bless the Lord, guess what? They're going to happen. If he can take dead stones and turn them into living stones laid on the foundation of Christ, you have a temple that cannot be shaken. That's a picture of the kingdom that Lord is ruling over. David has this tendency that I really appreciate. When he's down, he begins to praise the Lord. He wants to play loud music. He wants to sing. He wants to dance. He wants to have a party. 
And when he's up, like he is here at the end of this psalm, he wants to sing and dance and play loud music and have a party. I relate to David in that way. So he's come from the beginning of this psalm where he's trying to encourage himself and remind himself of all the good that the Lord has done for him. At the end, he declares and proclaims the Lord is king over all and that everybody should join him in praising the Lord. The angels, the heavenly host, the ministers, all the works of creation should join together and praise the Lord. All that has breath, praise you the Lord. Amen? O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. It's a good old hymn, and it provides the answer, doesn't it? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Are you downtrodden and troubled? Look to Christ and believe all of his everlasting benefits. Trust and love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Rest in the full assurance of his faithfulness to his people. Live in a frame of everlasting praise and thanksgiving for Jehovah's unspeakable mercies in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, you have indeed redeemed our souls from death and healed all our iniquities. You have been and still are and everlastingly will be our salvation from sin and woe. Your love, your mercy, your pity, your compassion as infinitely transcends the pity of a father for his children as the heavens are higher than the earth. Help us, O gracious God, by the sweet, constraining influences of your Holy Spirit to love you and to praise you and to live to you and upon you forever. And O oh, you angels of light, you ministers of the Lord God Almighty, yea, everything that has breath, cease not to praise the Lord your God, and let the fathers to their children declare his praise. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And all God's people said, Amen. Okay.